This is the Sandman on TV Podcast Industries. We're discussing the Sandman Chapter 6, The Sound of Her Wings. You could have called me, you know. I didn't want to worry you. Oh, I don't believe it. Let me tell you something, Dream. And I'm only going to say this once, so you better pay attention. You are utterly the stupidest, most self-centered, pathetic excuse for an anthropomorphic personification on this or any other plane. Feeling sorry for yourself because your little game is over and you haven't got the balls to go out and find a new one. Welcome back, fellow dreamers. This is TV Podcast Industries. We are talking about The Sandman, Chapter 6 of The Sound of Our Wings. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow dreamers. I am one of your other hosts, John. And I am the other anthropomorphic personification of a podcast host, Chris. Well done, Chris. I used I used that anthropomorphic personification quote because I didn't think any of us would be would remember it. So uh, that's the quote we've used for our opening of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I was wrong. Well done, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank no, you he much. just heard it. He just heard it. Yes. Well, he took his notes well. I'll, I'll, I'll give him. I'll give him credit for that. Both. Uh, both. <laughs> yes. We we meet another anthropomorphic personification in this episode. Probably the most famous and most beloved of the Sandman universe. Uh, we finally get to meet another one of the endless. Yes. Yes. Officially. Mm-hmm. We we have seen, uh, we have seen people in the background. Um, we've seen a certain blonde-haired person. <laughs> we uh, can say it. We've seen desire. We've seen desire. We have seen desire. We did mention it. Yes, yeah. desire yeah. is the. But desire is uh, still right now a character that we don't know much about. Death, we no. learn a lot about in this episode. We hope you've enjoyed uh, watching these episodes along with us, fellow uh, dreamers. We did mention last last week. Uh, don't hold out if you're watching the episodes while we're recording the podcast. Watch all the series all the way through to the end because we're we're in that window that Netflix is deciding whether they're going to renew for a season two or not. So the more people that watch the entire season, the more chance that's going to happen. <laughs> so uh, unlike other shows where we tell you to wait along with us, this one go watch ahead. It's it's well worth watching. We'll still be here when you get when you get finished, or you're going through in your secondary watch. Yeah, and a few things have already hit the chopping block. Uh, Resident Evil, mm. um, the the latest TV show, uh, has been officially cancelled after right. one season. That's right. Um, because again, apparently the numbers weren't there. Yeah. Um, which is a shame. But when you, because we heard it was a trending, top trending, uh, show when mm. it launched and was given middling to it was mm. it strong seas of six and sevens and eights. It yes. was kind of just kind of. Everything from okay to good yeah. on a lot of the reviews. But just the numbers um, weren't there. Just like yeah. Lock and Key getting uh, cancelled after it had filmed its fourth uh, season, which is now its final season. Uh, Umbrella Academy has been confirmed to get an extension for one final season as well. So that'll be going away. We have Stranger Things coming back for one final season as well. We'd love to have some great content on uh, on Netflix like Sandman. Uh, and there's loads more stories to tell uh, when they do get a season two. So that'd be great if you keep watching it. <laughs> yes. And make sure as you're watching through the episodes to send us in your feedback, email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or pop on over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. There's a spoiler post up there for every episode of The Sandman. Uh, so you can pop in there and pop in your thoughts and we'll talk about them on the podcast. 
Indeed. And of course, fellow dreamers, you can subscribe to any nightmarish or good dreaming podcast catcher of your choice. That's right. Uh, yeah. You can head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com where you can find a smorgasbord of podcast catchers of your choice. Absolutely. Indeed. <laughs> well, let's get into our spoiler filled discussion of The Sandman Chapter 6. Mm-hmm. The Sound of Her Wings. Yes. Let's do that. The executive producers for the show are Alan Heinberg and Neil Gaiman, along with David S. Gore. Uh, this episode was written by Lauren Bellow. Uh, she wrote an episode of Foundation on Apple TV and is a story editor of Sandman, um, and formerly an assistant to David S. Gore when he worked on the DC show Krypton. Interesting. Yeah. So DC chops there are plenty. Exactly, exactly. And may have come over with David Escura when he was doing the original production. I, I presume uh, that's where she came over from. Um, the director of this episode was Marzi Almas. Uh, we know Marzi Almas very well because she directed loads of our favorite shows, including Jessica Jones, uh, Why the Last Man, Iron Fist, and recently uh, Shadow and Bone and Paper Girls uh, for Prime Video, which I've heard is quite good as well. Excellent stuff. Yes, love Shadow and Bone as well. That was really good. Yeah, yeah. really enjoyed that first season. And Why the Last Man, another great director of Why the Last Man. Yeah. Loads of good stuff here. Expecting a lot from this episode, then. Absolutely. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Sandman Chapter 6, The Sound of Her Wings? Sure. After recovering his helm, pouch of sand, and ruby, Morpheus feels aimless and unmotivated, like there is something missing from his duties. But his big sister, Death, comes to meet him and asks her brother to accompany her as she escorts the deceased to the afterlife. She explains that there was a time in her history that she too felt that she was just going through the motions as the inevitable end for everyone. As she goes about her work, she shows Morpheus the possibility of finding purpose and fulfilment in his duties as ruler of dreaming, as she has since realising that she is the last connection that all beings have before they leave the world. All they crave is a friendly smile and a kind ear. Morpheus is reminded of a bet he once made with his sister after overhearing a young man called Hob Gadling declare that he will never die as he believes that life only ends when you give up. In the White Horse Tavern in the year 1389, Death agrees to spur Gadling and grant him his wish for as long as he wants with the agreement that he will meet Dream at the same spot every hundred years and tell him of his experiences. Each time they meet, Hobgadling describes his life and maintains that no matter the turns in his life, he still does not wish for death. Through the wonderful or awful centuries, or whether his mysterious meetings with Dream are being investigated by Joanna Constantine, Hob reiterates that his life is his life, and he never wants it to end. In 1889, their conversation leads to Hob hypothesizing that Morpheus continues to meet with him because he is lonely and needs a friend, which greatly offends Morpheus. As the next century passes, Morpheus fails to show for their next meeting due to his capture by Burgess. When their age-old drinking hole is sold, Hob chooses a new tavern a block away, hoping that Morpheus will choose to find him. In the present, with his sister's words of encouragement in his ears and craving connection again, Morpheus seeks out Hob Gadling, who joyfully greets his endless drinking companion as the two friends catch up on missed time. 
pretty joyful and hopeful episode, this one. And I think before the show started, or if you haven't watched The Sandman or didn't know the comics and you heard there was an episode about death, you probably wouldn't have thought it would be a pretty joyful episode, right? Oh, 100%. I think so. I think it's, you know, it's it's tinged with the, the sanctity of life by mm-hmm. the fact that people are passing away. And death is yeah. there to, to greet them on that that journey to their afterlife. Mm-hmm. No matter how old or young they are, and no matter what type of uh, relationship they have with gods of different uh, different varieties, mm-hmm. so it, it's it's hopeful, but it's it's tinged with that sadness uh, and of of loss, and and you see that you know quite brutally throughout it. But in that sense, it is um, hearing the the machinations of death. Uh, in terms of her job, mm-hmm. is really really interesting, mm-hmm. and of course, in the end, the 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 connectivity or the connection that Morpheus is seeking, that thing that he feels is missing, mm-hmm. um, also relates in some way to the connectivity that humans have during their life, which makes their life um meaningful uh before uh they pass away absolutely like it's such a great choice here that the um this episode is based on two stories from the comic book, The Sound of Her Wings, which was the introduction of death, and it's based on uh, Men of Good Fortune, which was the Hobgadling story. They're separated by a few issues, not much, very, very, uh, I think it's only one story in between the two issues. Um, but the pairing of the two of them together makes so much logical sense in what's the journey here that we're seeing for Morpheus and what's happening with him as a character. I think it's such a good pairing uh, to, to choose that. Agreed. For me, this has to be, in my opinion, like one of the best narrative-based and dialogue-based hour-long segments on film. Mm-hmm. Like, just when you were describing human nature, yeah. or the human, the human being, or the the being of being a human, like the the experiences, the the uh, the actual thoughts the, the the feelings the loss the love the grief the mm-hmm. remorse the everything the the revenge and mm-hmm. the, the the anger because um, that comes in from the the dream himself mm-hmm. um, it's just like some of the lines um, God when you think he's going for when you think death's going for the mother and she turns a left mm-hmm. like even i as someone who knew what was going to happen mm-hmm. still w- wasn't fully prepared for the 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 emotional seesaw that is this episode yeah yeah and i think i think that's it's really important to mention you know this is i, I say the character of death as a standout from the comic books but this is this is where people fell in love with the comic this this moment here because certainly for a lot of us that were interested in this stuff in the early 90s that were interested in comic books and interested in more adult comic books after getting kind of through the superhero phase um a story like this which gives you a brand new perspective on death um a brand new brand new perspective on life for the life that we all live and it's all going to end with death there's nobody escapes us as the as the uh the line from the comic book says there's there's a moment where she sees um no one here gets out alive spray painted on the wall and death kind of laughs at it and then goes it also makes me sad to see something like that you know and um, this is 
all of us, but that perspective that Neil Gaiman brings to it in his comic is so perfect that I think from this point onwards, everybody that was reading the book stuck with it right through to the end of the book because you suddenly realize this writer is something is doing something really special. There's so many lines in this episode that are taken directly from the comics, directly from page to screen, and acted so beautifully. Uh, just just such a, such a great story and such a great uh, a great interpretation of it for the TV. I'd, I'd go with you, Chris. This is probably the best adaptation I've seen of anything I've ever read before seeing it on screen. I think they've done such a brilliant job. Yeah. Will we get into our top moments then uh, of the episode? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's, let's start off there. Let's start off with uh, Death's Tour of Humanity. Um, I, I kind of like how it starts off. It's, it's always an interesting point. This is about a month on from when uh, Morpheus has gotten back all of his tools and he had this mission. This was the thing that we said at the beginning of the series. Oh, he's got he's set up for his mission. Now this is going to be going to take you 10 episodes. And then you get to episode five. He's got everything back. And then he could just restore the dreaming to its former glory. And that's kind of the story done. But I love how it starts with this moment where he's just sitting on a bench going, there's something wrong. I've done, I've done everything that I needed to do, but what, how do I get back to being myself again? Well, it definitely had, uh, moping, uh, goth children vibes, uh, uh-huh. in, in the park on a summer's day, heavy and black mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, I really liked it actually. Yeah. Um, Certainly the pigeon feeding, um, <laughs> you know, Lord of Dreams feeding uh-huh. the old uh, flying rats. So I kind of really like this. Pigeons dream too, Stan? Well, they certainly do. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Um, yes, they dream about baguettes. They do. Yes. Uh, being broken apart and uh-huh. fed to them uh, in the park. Hell, as a celiac, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> And then we get our introduction. We have Kirby Hal Baptiste walking over to um, to Dream. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we all probably came into this episode knowing this is death, right? Um, yeah. Comic book version of it. If you're reading it month to month, you would not know until very late in the episode that this is death. You'd have an idea of who the character is. But um, you don't even know there's a connection between these two characters uh, to begin with. You no, know, you, absolutely. That was the big thing for me. I just thought it was a, a, a random, a just being chatty uh-huh. next to him um in the park because yeah he he's looking down and fed up yeah uh so like the reveal for me was just oh that's cool that's excellent yeah to begin with i thought she was involved with the gang of lads playing football as right. well right. With, Frank- um, the boys. with franklin mm-hmm. but she is but just franklin doesn't know that she will be involved with yeah. him <laughs> um so i just really liked that i just loved that 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 notion and i i think um i loved how death was portrayed here as mm-hmm. being almost part of everyone's life yeah. yeah even though ultimately within the the viewing this is death walking into for example harry the violinist's mm-hmm. house and but immediately the conversation is struck up with yeah. her yeah, um, I love how instantaneously it, they all know who she is as well. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just the it's the acknowledgement of the ever presence of death mm-hmm. in that sense, in terms of the familiarity of when she arrives. Yeah, even but the shock, like you see with the little baby in the cot, mm-hmm. but the shock of people who are witnessing then the death of that 
child, the little baby in that case, but even Franklin and his friends as he's knocked down yeah. compared to the person who is going through death mm-hmm. at that moment. So it was just, I thought it was really um, just so well portrayed, actually. I love, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in that sense, I really, really enjoyed how it was portrayed. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. It's, it's so beautiful, even the, the opening death, really, of, of Harry, um, an old man, playing a tune that um, they haven't heard in 200 years and then he dies and then looks back at himself going, I look so old, um, you know, that, that moment of realization, but wanted to have a one final word and death is so calm with him, allowing him to, to say his Hebrew prayer, allowing him to that moment to guide himself to whatever his afterlife is supposed to be. I love that line from death where Harry says to her, well, I've made my prayer. Now I go to heaven, don't I? And she goes, well, now's the time you find out. Um, so mm-hmm. she doesn't usher anybody into the afterlife. She doesn't push anybody towards heaven or hell or wherever they're going. She's there just at their final moment to hold their hand, say a kind word, and usher them to whatever it is that's after. Yeah, well, she she says you, they have the long and arduous journey mm. to wherever it is that they might be going yeah. in the afterlife, mm. which is really good. I, yeah. I think the other side of it is just that, you know, in this sense, death is so chipper, um, yeah. really. Like, she's... She's at one with the role, in effect, the job that she's doing, which is is really like interesting to see that kind of, um, that perspective, yeah. and and even just you know she's in good spirits, but also then asking her brother to come along as she goes about her her work during the day, yeah. um, it, as a way of you know, trying to deal with Dream's issues where he's he feels nothing. I mean, he says, you know, I'm more powerful than I have been in eons, and yet there's something missing. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling nothing, um, despite all of that power. So, yeah. you know, she, like a good sister, brings him along to just maybe show some possibilities, yeah. expose him to something that she feels he might need. Well, absolutely. Which is, yeah. re- which is really good. If you think your job is hard, Morpheus, look what I've had to do for centuries and I've accepted it. You know, I, I also like that she had a little tinge of dark humor with her, with Franklin, where he's basically coming on to her and she yeah. goes, don't worry, Franklin, I'll see you soon. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's a, know. that's a little bit of dark humor in there from death. Um, Would you actually say gallows humor? I would definitely say Gallows Huber, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, of all the people that we see die in the episode, I do think I'm most like Sam, the American tourist who's on holiday with his wife uh, on their honeymoon. And when he dies, he goes, but I can't die right now. All of, all of our plane tickets are on my phone and she can't, doesn't have access to it. So she won't be able to get back to, back home, which would I feel like would be the first thing that would go through my head. Oh, no, I didn't plan for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Poor Sam. That's a really, it's a really yeah. sad moment. But uh, again... A little bit, a little touch of of uh, of those realistic moments that may go through somebody's head. Uh, so I like that. Yeah, it's the humanity mm-hmm. in humanity. It's exactly. the or the real the realism in humanity. I should mm. say. Before I get into any of that kind of the actual story, I I do want to call out Kirby. Mm-hmm. Just spot on casting here. She Just the, the embodiment of what I read mm-hmm. back in the day. And it's just the the actual ability to bring those words to life, mm-hmm. to take yeah. something from page and put it in your own spin, 
I actually didn't think about death having a British accent, but it makes complete sense when <laughs> you when it kind of comes. You're gonna yes, this. this I'll see you soon, is, Chris. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It, do, it, it does make sense though. It brings that kind of gravitas to it. Mm. And yeah. in times of old, in ye oldie days, you would have had death being a lord, kind of the Lord Death, the mm, kind okay. of that yeah. kind of Grim Reaper. And you could have had that. Yeah. But you don't because death, as we talk about in this story, is death is there to not scare them, but to shuttle them, to move them and transition them between point A and point B, Mm. with this point, point A being death and point B being the beyond. Whatever's after, exactly. Um, And I suppose as well, it does make sense with Tom Sturridge as as Morpheus this being his closest sibling. Um, He's British. She's British. It's a British-based, a British-written written comic book. But interestingly, this story actually all took place in New York and New Jersey. Um, so all of these deaths in the comic book were all around uh, around the the US. Um, there was a, a really good uh, commentary that was done by all the major cast and and uh, Neil Gaiman and uh, and Alan Heinberg and and um, David Escore last week, uh, where he mentioned interestingly. The real reason why it's set in London instead of New York was COVID. Uh, they didn't fly yeah. out of the UK. They couldn't. And he was kind of like, well, actually, two of the people that die are both British who happen to live in New York. So it makes just as much sense to have it in England. And especially when you're pairing the stories together, which is Hobgadling going, coming from uh, medieval England all the way up to present day. Yeah. It does make loads of sense that they're all taking yeah. place around there. So really good. Uh, did you also see the little bit of the little uh, touch on uh, on death from um, from uh, that conversation with Morpheus, where she says, "I used to I used to feel really empty in my old job." I think that might be a reference to the other version of death being a skeleton, and now she's a fully yeah, <laughs> a yeah. full open person. I felt quite empty inside back then because she was she was a skeleton. Well, that's it, <laughs> and but it was I, I like the I like the that kind of little references you know and i i just love the really subtle just seeing the shadow of the wing beats oh, yes. as Fabulous she oh. takes um the people who have died away mm-hmm. yeah. uh, for their long and arduous journey I it's just of, yeah. real nice touch and so, i think i love morpheus not watching on either he's, yeah. he's never watching to see what happens he's just kind of turns away as they have their final moment together exactly and i mean you know through this series of of deaths um that they go through i i kind of i just really liked how she brings it back to you know um when when dream asks you know how how do you do this uh how are you there for each and every one of them mm-hmm. and i I really like then that kind of potted history of effectively death saying well i was in a similar position you know it just mm-hmm. going through the motions feeling nothing really yeah um Except in the in the beginning, where it was all shiny and new, because uh, what she says, um, you know, in the beginning it was fine. Life and death was new. It's like this yeah. brand new toy. Humans approach everything exactly with, with that, uh, and then yep. you know, thought about giving up, and you know, it just got really hard, um, and she became brittle. Uh, but I loved how then you know, in to make her role as the lord of death and it was realizing that she was there to serve humans Mm -hmm. in this moment um and 
that that the purpose their purpose as lords of different realms mm. um is the function of doing what they're doing exactly um which for the case of death is to take them to the uh you know begin them on their journey to the afterlife yeah. and for dream for people to dream uh, and that um you know ultimately they just need a friendly face a kind word um like they had in the beginning when they were born sort of at you know with their parents yeah. and so on that that moment of joy at birth mm-hmm. they need that moment of empathy yeah. and caring in their final moments so, so I, to be there with someone that they yeah. know loves them yeah so i just really like that and of course the inevitable thing you know whilst it was brand new and shiny at the start ultimately i, I get this was my favorite line from from death was you know people may not be ready for my gift but they get it anyway yeah um and so you know that that kind of the fatalism of it mm-hmm. is all very powerful it's and awesome. correct <laughs> that happens and i just really liked how this all intermingled through as they they toured in a sense toured or went round death's to-do list yeah. effectively yeah, it's like my singing no that is not inevitable it's a, yeah. it, they're not ready for the gift <laughs> it is a little fatalistic yeah exactly. well some gaffer tape can sort that out okay, okay, yeah, we'll... just straight over and then i actually will be deaf <laughs> um <laughs> just put it over your mouth not your mouth and your nose yeah, you'll oh, still be able okay. to breathe you'll be able you to breathe see. chris okay yeah. but you just I'm have glad. to breathe through your ma- your nose yeah okay yeah. There is a great line from the comic book that's misattributed to this particular issue, but it's from it's from Death uh, in a later issue where she basically says everybody gets one life and that's it. No matter how long or short it is, that's one life. Um, in this episode, one of the things that, I've, you know, it, it wouldn't have worked in live action, but the baby does actually say something. It does say the words, is that it, um, to Death? Uh, and Death says, yes, that's it. That's all you get. Um, and effectively... Yep. No matter when somebody is dying, whether it's Harry in his final years and his in his old age, or whether it's the baby uh, who passes, effectively death has to deal with all of those. As that's all the time you got. It could have been. Uh, it, it can't be any longer for you. This is your time. Um, so, yeah. uh, so I'm kind of. I mean, I was really interested. That they added a few extra kind of moments. The kid who gets stabbed in the street and dies. The uh, the girl who dies of a heroin overdose and uh, in a tent under a bridge. You know, dying alone. It kind of throws that concept you hear so many times from people of the you're born alone you die alone and then the rest of your life is what matters that's the concept that's being challenged by Gaiman's writing he's saying you're never alone in your time you have a moment when you're born you're with your family when you die somebody's there to hold your hand and usher you on to the next place effectively so yeah a really lovely sentiment it takes away that loneliness that's always there from that quote and if i feel like that's probably the point he started from the you born alone die alone and that saying so negative um whereas i love this twist and i love this concept definitely definitely uh, anything else about death story within the episode chris anything else you want to add no it made me emotional mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. There, there's Absolutely. very few i i'm a cynic when it comes to some of the more forced emotional aspects of tv shows yeah. where they're trying their damned hardest through writing through show direction through whatever to elicit that response mm-hmm. And it comes across 
in a lot of shows, in my opinion, as kind of that more forced and sometimes cringy. Yeah. yeah. None of this came across as that way in that it was that like when you feel you feel an emotion coming through when you feel something that is just and this it, it's sadness to a degree it's, mm-hmm. you're getting an emotional because yeah you see a baby basically pass on you yep. see an old man who asks is this it and it was yes everyone gets one everyone gets that one final yeah i mean even sam is on his honeymoon as yeah. well yes can exactly. i just get five more minutes to tell my wife where the tickets are for a flight back <laughs> yeah. to america just five more minutes before you take me away and it, again it's not death that's causing it it's not death that's taking them it's death that's there with them when they die uh, yeah. yeah i mean yeah. even franklin you know the adage of there's a guy there in the prime of his life, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he's young, healthy, and he's looking for love. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's being knocked over by, yeah. by a car so in the street. Ways before you cross the street. Um, all of it. Oh, and it all resonates because of the tragedy around it. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. but it's, it's having in a sense that, that contrast to, Ultimately, the inescapable, as death says, you know, they're going to get my gift anyway. Exactly. At yeah. some point, at some time, it, it it's it's that, but also, as you say, um, the the kindness that is being brought here by death in that final moment that they who are who are dying are accepting. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think I could talk about this bit of the episode all day. Uh, there's still probably other things that we could talk about, but let's move on to the other storyline. Let's go, let's move on to, um, effectively Morpheus's next mission to recover the bit that he's forgotten about, the bit that he's lost about, because we are taken back to a better gamble, I guess you'd probably say between death and, uh, dream who go back to a bar in 1389 and already death is saying to dream that he's feeling disconnected from humans he needs to spend time in their company and see who they are as people so that he can get to know them better she's already starting off that conversation with him right back in this moment where she's bringing him to meet some humans stand in a pub have a drink have a listen to the conversations see what they're really like so you can you're not just seeing them in the dream world effectively uh, i like that little uh connection to the other story it's exactly the same as comic book it's not it's not new but uh, i like that connection between the two storylines yeah i I love this whole thread actually Mm. with hob gadling or aka robert gadling Mm -hmm. aka sir robert gadlin yes um yeah i i really enjoyed it i I loved the actor who played hob actually yeah he was really Um, really good wasn't it it was just the whole sentiment of it and it, it was just how, even in quite a short space of time, there was that connection built um, between Hob and Death mm-hmm. to the point where then, even though Dream had literally given him nothing about who he was, it was still that 100-year appointment and, and chat mm-hmm. and conversation that, that they had and... You know, that moment were in, um, you know, in 1889 where 
Hob is trying to just probe about death, and he says, "I think you're lonely. You're mm-hmm. seeking friendship, and that is an affront to to dream here." Absolutely. I was like, and then missing the appointment because he's actually being locked up in in the basement of um the Burgess family home, mm-hmm. and seeing Hob in eighty nine where dream doesn't turn up, and I was like, oh, you know, he's missing. Because Hob is missing him. Hob is yeah. making the friendship, the dream still hasn't entirely taken on what his sister was asking of him to yes. get to know them. Yes. Because there's those frank conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, or, well, do you want to be my friend? Because I've been coming since 1389, yeah. you know, for these meetings. And I loved that. And I loved his story that he was both successful mm-hmm. and had it all stripped away. I really liked just seeing all of that. I loved her as well. When Dream and Death are actually moving through the White Horse Tavern there in 1389, they're talking about uh, revolution and so on. There's the poll tax coming in from from the kings. Yeah, it's the and king's second increase in the poll tax. Exactly. Yeah. And then in 1789, you get this repeat of the the revolution with the the America, mm-hmm. with North America, the colonies, and in France. Yeah. And and then what was they say? It's because the the French lords didn't play cricket or something with their. <laughs> With, with their staff, like the, the the lords in England do. I'd say that's nonsense. But anyway, <laughs> and then, but even then in 89, where there's all talk of Thatcher's poll tax. So it's just, I loved how it kind of gave this cycle of, of, of history, effectively. Oh, yeah. I thought it was really sort of well done in, in the, and the way it was done. I Absolutely. loved the, the, just the different settings and dressings for mm-hmm. the White Horse Tavern for for Dream as yeah. well. Whereas certainly when he was looking a bit like Jack the Ripper there in eighteen eighty nine, I thought that was a cool look. Um and of course Lushing Lou, aka the hospital. Um <laughs> in the either she's in them or she sends men to them, mm-hmm. which was absolutely priceless. That's very good. Very Loved good. it. So I, I really, so I really enjoyed this sequence Absolutely. Uh, between uh, Dream and and Hob Gadling. I thought it was just really, really well yeah, done. Absolutely, I, I like that gag of the background conversations because there's nothing certain in life except death and taxes, yeah. right? So throughout every century, they're still talking about the taxes, aren't they? Terrible. <laughs> so uh, really good stuff. What do you think, Chris? I love this on all accounts on everything about it because it is just that he's it's just it's a fun tweak on friendship we all have that friend who we don't see forever Mm -hmm. and then you meet them again and you slip into you're just like, how are you? Like, yeah. what's crack? Like, like you, it's a play on that, but like, rather than seeing a person every couple of months, yeah. you're meeting this person once every 100 years mm-hmm. and you're finding out about them and the odd time you'll fall out, but you're still friends. So you'll see each yeah. other the next time and you're still back to being friends. And it's that ending for me is the best part of it because yeah. you have, he's like, all right. You're gonna grab a point. Come on, sit down. Yeah, it's essentially that, which is like 
tell me what has happened, mm. why you missed our appointment. Like, let's move on. Um, but also and, Morpheus fully accepting that Hobgoblin Gadlin is his friend and has some additional value to him. You know, it, it almost started out with this kind of gamble, really, between uh, Dream and Death, where yeah. Hob was challenging her entire nature. He was saying, everybody dies because they're stupid, because they don't want to live. I won't die because I will it. And Death's going, you know what would be fun? He stays alive. Do you want to do that, Morpheus? Do you want to go and check in with him and see what his life is like every hundred years? <laughs> yeah. uh, I kind of like that, you know. Um, but Morpheus doesn't give anything of himself until I think it's about 1789 or 1889, somewhere, somewhere around there. He doesn't really give any information out about himself. No. And it's only then that it starts to feel reciprocal between the two of them. And it starts to feel like there is a friendship between the two of them. But that at that moment of acceptance from Morpheus, that moment when he realizes he's not standing alone in his ivory tower or his dream castle, he needs to have that connection with humans. And he already has one. He already has one that he has had a connection with for hundreds of years. Yeah, well, that's, that's as he says to death, he goes, I'm late for an appointment. Um, thank you, sister. You've reminded me of something I'd forgotten mm-hmm. uh, because they, they parted on maybe poor terms. Uh, and then he was locked away. So, and it, it's that realization of uh, of that time together, yeah. uh, and also then being in the company of his sister mm-hmm. earlier on, uh, which I, I agree with Chris. It's just like that end, that ending in the present at the new inn where they, you know, finally. There's the apology, you know, I owe you an apology. Dream mm-hmm. yeah. apologizes to him. Um, it's not good to keep your friends waiting, yeah. you know, and you get that, uh, acknowledgement that Hob Gadling has become a friend of the Lords of Dreams. Mm-hmm. So it was, it's really good. And I think everything in between is just really amazing sort of layering and fantastically concise, like storytelling. Well, like in terms of the comedy, like I, I love just the jump from 1389 to the, the, the next hundred years where, you know, he goes, life is effing brilliant. Yeah. Um, they've introduced chimneys. Uh-huh. So you're, you're not crying from the smoke in the pub, <laughs> you know, or handkerchiefs yeah. and playing cards what and will stuff they like think this. Of next? Yes. You know, and he's started in a new trade printing, mm-hmm. uh, which he thinks will never really get off the ground, you yeah. know. So I love that, and then I really liked you know, that darker moment in with the the meeting in, in seventeen eighty nine about you know he's he's gone into the shipping business. Mm-hmm. There's this new form where effectively um, it's it's bringing the goods from Britain to to its colonies and bringing slaves back effectively mm-hmm. or moving slaves on to another place and you get that moment where dream is you should choose a different path yes um but he says you can ch- still choose whether to stay in it or not mm-hmm. but you shouldn't expect to take away that right to choose to other people exactly. i just a really good yeah. it, you know it's absolutely perfectly said yeah. Yeah. the wrongs about it. Yeah, um, and, uh, you know, because Hobb pushes back, say, I thought you said I could choose what I did. Mm-hmm. And then I think just that experience that Hobb has, you know, through, you know, 
dubious decisions, but also the great times where he's been made a sir, he has a family, it's good food, it's good wine, to where he's lost it all. Mm-hmm. And he's hated the, the last 80 years. You know, he says, but I still want to live. Yeah, There's still life to live. Exactly. And I, you know, I don't want death yeah. and I'm, I'm not going to die. It's better than being yeah. in the ground, being eaten by maggots, right? No yeah. matter what, no matter what it is, that's, that's his, his attitude all the way throughout, you know, and, um, I, I was really, I loved how Tom Sturge played that conversation when, Hobgadling was riding really high and he'd filled up an entire table full of food and all the best food. You know, he's getting more and more stuff delivered to him. And that's the moment that Morpheus has the least interest in him. He turns away and talks to somebody else in the bar. He turns away and finds Will Shakespeare, somebody that interests him, somebody he finds intriguing because Hobgadling thinks him surrounding himself by wealth, becoming a sir. And you'll never, you'll never guess, but I also had the queen over to my house, which was so <laughs> much trouble. And Morpheus just looking at him kind of going, okay, I'll, I'll come back in a hundred years and see what your life is like. That's basically, he's, yeah. he's not interested in someone that's being as excessive as, uh, as Hobgadling is in that moment. And I, I, I really like that. He'll still come back in a hundred years and find out how his life's going. And his life went really bad from that point onwards. But, Morpheus is not interested in the kind of talk of excesses that Hobgadling wants to talk about there. Yeah. So let's talk about some of those surrounding characters, um, some of the other people, because again, remember this is all a, a book coming from Neil Gaiman. He's a he's a he's a he's interested in the process of writing. You know, there's the joke in there about the printing press that'll never never take off. Written by a writer, of course. You know. Yeah. Uh, we have. Uh, a number of people appearing throughout this episode. We have William Shakespeare, we have uh, Geoffrey Chaucer, we have uh, Marlowe uh, in there, all real writers throughout the centuries, all, all people that have some, some contemporaries like, uh, like Marlowe and Shakespeare, but um, dream providing some inspiration potentially for William well, Shakespeare. I love that. I thought <laughs> it was a real Neil Gaiman thing to do, just having Will Shaxbird, and mm-hmm. um, who is, you know, by all accounts, certainly from Hob, is crap. Uh-huh. But he, again, he is the conversation that old uh, Shaxbird is uh, is looking to, to give, yeah. which is, I want people to think about this, have this in their memories, uh, you know, across time, Absolutely. like dreams. And inspire their and, dreams. And inspire their dreams. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, piques the interest um of, of dream i loved that i loved even that with the jeffrey chaucer mm-hmm. it's just he's just being called jeffrey but he likes to do rhymes yeah. and the the other writer with him is like no, that's never gonna catch on you shouldn't be rhyming and he goes yeah but i like it yeah. and of course you know so it's just really <laughs> yeah. it, it's a real writer's way of looking at it you know the, the writer's view of of history in that sense, Absolutely. you know, and it's just so Neil Gaiman for me. And I love mm-hmm. it when he does those types of things. Yeah. yeah. And I love that he's been able to keep them in the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, it was actually even more, so say some of the surroundings. So you've got the bartender, which is played by the lovable Ian McNeil. Mm, in 1989. Um, yes. Yes. Um, who I, I just found so, Everyone knows his face, be it from Dune or Doctor Who, or he's just, he's that lovable English actor you get for some of those parts. Yeah. Um, and he just the conversation he has with Hob. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
it's like a great bartender, isn't it? He doesn't ever ask any details of what Hobbs talking about. He just goes, I've seen many friends who've fallen out. And then yeah. you see them coming back together with a reunion over a drink. Sit down and have a chat, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was fun. So you have that, and then you have, um, you have perhaps the biggest one, the biggest reveal of a supporting character, which is, uh, Joanna Constantine's great, great grandmother. Well, 300 years. So yeah. quite a few greats, I'd say. Yeah, great, 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 great we'll, grandma. We'll just say her, so her ancestor, uh, yes, Lady descent, Joanna yes, Const- yes. Constantine. Yes. Uh, which is really fun because mm-hmm. you see people looking for, and you see, uh, like that they are being followed and there's talk, of, there's a painting being done or a drawing being yeah. done of them. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. Yes. If you have someone consistently meeting every hundred years, folklores about the deals with devil and all that starts to grow up. Mm. Yeah. And it's fun just to see, like, the, the the impact of two men meeting every hundred years in the same place. Yeah. I love that. I must say, I love the, as you say, that mythology that happens, how folklore, tales, legends, myths, and just that, you know, someone um, back in 1689 drew a picture mm-hmm. of Dream and and the destitute Hob Gadling. Well, and yes. it's it's there again, but it's become known as the tale of the devil and the wandering Jew. It's mm-hmm. just like, I love that, where they both just turn around and say, well, I'm not the devil. Mm-hmm. And the well, <laughs> gatling is like, <laughs> I'm not Jewish. It's yeah. like, you've got it completely wrong. Uh-huh. But it, it's just really good. And you know how then, well, we've got to be careful next time because mm-hmm. we, you know, we could get burnt as witches or something. Well, yes. So it's like... It's it's just all those little points of just great writing, just concise and in a nutshell that just adds this like layers here. Even having Joanna Constantine, you know, back in well, her ancestor back in here, just with the reference to earlier in the season, mm-hmm. you know, really nicely done. You see why, you know, then a hundred years later, it's. Well, I've gotten her to do a few j- jobs for me, and yes. she's done it really well. And she's she's very successful. Yes, you know, yeah, which I like because we we heard that from Joanna Constantine in present day, uh, her saying that you've had a connection with my family uh, for many years, but you know we can't always be trusted. So reference to the fact that the first time they met, uh, the first time that family met, uh, Dream, um, she tried to capture him effectively. Yeah. So and they fought him off, but he did come back and use her again, and she's you know. She was very useful uh, for the yeah. job he had for her. So um, hopefully a, a possibility we'll see um, Jenna Coleman back in a season two or season three, maybe doing that job uh, back in yeah. as Lady maybe. Joanna Constantine. We, we may see that. Loads of stories uh, available to tell, though. Um, so that's one of my quick notes on this episode, which is this does set up some potential season two topics or discussion points because you do have that there is a further comic book kind of with all about Will, um, which is discussed, um, which we, we could see Will uh, Shakespeare come back again. We could. Um, and then there is further Lady Joanna Constantine um, stories. Possibilities, yes. Uh, remember, um, uh, William Shakespeare did write um, a particular play in the middle of summer about a dream. Um, so entirely possible that a Midsummer Night's Dream could have been inspired by Dream. 
Yes. There you go. <laughs> uh, I think I may I have just spoiled that. You were kind of, you were literally, you were being <laughs> yeah. really kind of like yeah. quizzical. It's like you, this may be. Uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. There, there, I, I hope the show there. goes on long enough to to show uh, uh, Neil Gaiman's version of Midsummer Night's Dream because it is a, a, oh, a great story. Yeah. yeah, really, really great story. That would be fantastic. Um, I, I've just got one note to mention because I liked uh, I liked how it was called out um, when Death and and Dream are talking and Death is saying that she's there for everybody, no matter who they are. Well, except for Mad Hattie, of course, and your your project, which is leads into Hob Gadling's story. So Mad Hattie was the character that we saw back in episode three who called out to Joanna Constantine and mentioned that she'd been around for a couple of hundred years, basically. So we don't know Mad Hattie's history, but we know that Death has not met with her and may never meet with her. So she may be on the same kind of path as Hob Gadling through, uh, through the centuries. So, yes. uh, so an interesting little tidbit about, about Mad Hattie. We'll uh, hopefully get to see her again. Definitely. Hopefully. What about you, Sir John? Any notes for yourself? Um, just the reference from um, Dream to his sister. I think, I think uh, it's as they're walking along the river and she gets the apple. Mm-hmm. And Dream asks any word of the prodigal, mm-hmm. um, which I am guessing is the flighty um, sibling that yes. also uh, begins with the letter D that we haven't yet uh, come across. <laughs> yes, yes. Another member of the Endless. That's but I'm guessing it's the prodigal dish. son, maybe. But well, it might not be. I don't know. They call them the prodigal, so uh, no, uh, no specifics on that at all. It is literally just the member of the Endless. Uh, definitely beginning with a D, because they all are, um, that uh, we will find out, hopefully, at a later date who that is. Um, and she also, as well, in that same conversation, t- says that Desire was in pretty good spirits whilst he was locked away, mm. but she does feel that Desire may have missed her sparring partner yes. as well. So I guess it's that... Um, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family type of situation. Absolutely. And that's, uh, again, another relationship we may see more of uh, in the future. We do see um, Desire calling on another member of the Endless, um, sitting in their atrium, calling on another member of the Endless, which uh, we don't know who that is just yet. Oh, yes. Um, Large person in the clouds with a big heart. Um I really like that. Yes. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. It's a beautiful uh, version from the visually yeah, amazing, really, absolutely stunning. Yeah. And I don't know quite what it means. I guess mm. heart's desire, maybe. So that's why the heart is so um, mahusive, along with the person in the clouds. Yes, very good, John. That's and exactly maybe why the person's in the clouds as well, because you know the heads in the cloud, you know, <laughs> thinking of. What it is they Whatever would like they to desire. do. Yes. 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 We'll, we'll uh, definitely find out more about that desire uh, to come later on in the season. Um, any other notes? Any other thoughts uh, before we get on to closing out the episode? Nothing for me. I just want to see episode seven. Mm. Yes. Very not Nothing so. from me um, either. Just, just those little minor notes. Excellent. Well, then overall, John, what did you think of the episode? What did you think of Sandman chapter six, The Sound of Her Wings? I really, really enjoyed um, this. I'd give it five boozers through the ages out of five. Um, I just loved everything from start to finish. I think Mm. it was, uh, first of all, getting to see Dream's sister death. I think the poignancy that they brought there, but the hopefulness uh, with that and just the rationalization of what death does and how that's being translated by by Neil Gaiman. I Mm. think... Really something different, something special. 
Um, and I think each of these, you know, whether it was Harry the violinist, Sam the swimmer, Franklin the footy player, you know, all the the little baby, uh, lovely, um, you know, just really those different elements are of the point that the gift is ready to be given um, at any point at any time. And I think um, just how that links to death as his sister, looking to show him the possibilities of um, fulfillment as the Lord of Dreams and coming then that linking to the earlier attempt by her to say, you know, you need to sit with the people who she says, you know, we're here to serve in the, mm. the same way he is as dream, as Lord of Dreams, is there to serve humans in that dreamscape yeah. uh, and world. And then that relationship with Hob Gadling, I think, as Chris said, it's just that, like, amazingly Gaiman-esque type take on uh, on long-standing but not necessarily frequent friends, you know, where you just get back into a room and it all picks off, like, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and starts up again as though you haven't had a hundred years exactly. in between or haven't seen one another in, you know, that time. So it's just really, really good. And I mean, all the different elements in between this, you know, the, the, the humor, just the little touches with Will Shaxbird, with, Joanna Constantine with Lushing Lou. Um, just really nice bits all just made this such a rich um, and dense episode that was just really good for me. So yeah. absolutely loved it. Five boozers through the ages out of five. Excellent. Actually, yeah. Lushing Lou, also a real person from, um, from 1889. Yeah, well. uh, which I love. I love that that's also a reference to a real person. Their stories are, are available. You uh, you can find them. So well, that's uh, why I love how she said. Oh, I thought you were um, the Jack the Ripper there. Yeah. Well, I, you know, because she would have been uh, in the profession where she was most at risk. Absolutely, absolutely. And I love the nickname as well. The hospital, just so uh-huh. good. It's good. It's good. Chris, how about yourself? What did you think of the episode overall? Loved it. Mm-hmm. This is for me some of the best um, writing. Um, that came to screen or has been put to film or screen or digitalized or whatever way you want to say it mm-hmm. in, in, in the last while. Um, mostly just because of the death story. Um, deaths, the, the, that story alone is poignant, deep, mm-hmm. but also has elements of humor. Like we talked about the, the gallo humor aspect to uh-huh. it as well. Um, and just some of the, just the nicest sentiments and some of the nicest lines and narrative. And I told you, like, I got emotional from parts of it. Absolutely. Uh, didn't shed a tear. Haven't got me on that one yet. <laughs> no, but they, they're getting close. They're yeah. going to try. Um, I, I think the following aspect then is talking about friendship and the, the wholeness and what can be learned from friendship. So mm-hmm. just when you combine death and friendship and bring those two stories together and tell them in such a way that is just fantastical, mm. I, I suppose, it, but also so grounded. Yeah. 
the, so the, the, the story is grounded, but the elements of that story are fantastical. So therefore you get the desired, you get the, the endless. Yeah. Having a discussion about life. You get a hundred year old, multi hundred year old man, mm-hmm. um, and one of the endless discussing life and then it being a stealth discussion on friendship. Mm-hmm. Just beautiful. Absolutely. So yeah, uh, some of the best ever. But what about yourself, Derek? I knew this was a, a big one for you. It certainly was. It certainly was. I, we'd mentioned uh, at the beginning of the season that um, Netflix did send us uh, the previews of these episodes. I watched the first two episodes. And once I was comfortable that they kind of got the concept of Sandman, I jumped straight to episode six. Um, this was the story that certainly made me a Sandman fan. I made me a Neil Gaiman fan. From that point onwards, I bought every book. I bought his collections of short stories, pretty much everything that he's written, I've bought. And I think it all hinges on this book. Uh, I lost my brother when I was very young. I lost my brother when I was about 10 years old. And this book came out a couple of years after that. And this story really made sense of it for me. I know that's a, that's yeah. a weird thing to say, but it's sometimes something happens in your life that you can't make sense of. And this was so exactly what I needed to hear at the time I needed to hear it. And seeing it now, 30 odd years later, 32 years later, it had the same effect on me when I when I watched that opening of the episode, that moment when Death and Morpheus are in the park and meet for the first time. I did shed a tear. To her joy, I was like, wow, they've nailed this character. They've nailed Death exactly the way I wanted to see her portrayed on screen. And then I shed a tear as each of the characters died, as the deaths or as Death was ushering them uh, into the into the next um, phase after life. I thought it was so beautifully written. The music was fantastic in the scene when, when Harry, uh, fin- when Harry goes, I thought that was absolutely beautiful, really emotional. Um, but just the matter of factness of death dealing with it and the, as I say, how hopeful death is about what service she's providing to everybody that passes on because we'll all be there someday i I think it was so well done i'm so glad a new generation who may never have read the comic books are going to see it presented in this way and hopefully become uh, as big fans of neil gaiman's writing and of uh, hopefully the show and of the character uh, as i became back in the 90s so um yeah absolutely loved this this is top tier television one of the best things i've seen uh, on tv uh, or, yeah. or in yeah, for years. Definitely. Absolutely loved it. And it's such a simply done story. You know, they could have run down to the BBC costume department, got all the costumes for Hop Gadlin and just uh, switched them out for every episode. It's not, there's no big moment in this episode that cost them a million, a million to do. There are, there are moments here that you could absolutely tell the stage play of Death Meeting Dream. You could absolutely do a stage play of Death Meeting Hop Gadlin over the years. Yeah. Still beautifully presented. I don't want to take that away, but it's not a big CGI fest trying to trying to explain big concepts. It is all about the characters on screen and what they bring. Absolutely loved it. This is a six out of five or a uh, an eleven out of ten, uh, like the series is. <laughs> oh, I like what you did there. Eleven yes. episodes of a ten ten episode series. So we they, we lied last week when we said episode five was the midpoint of the series. This is the midpoint. Uh, there's eleven episodes. Episode six is the midpoint of the series. Well, and halfway through this what episode, a is perfect the one midpoint of the series. Uh, absolutely loved it. Let's hear what our fellow dreamers have to say about this episode. Uh, let's head on over to feedback. If you want to send your thoughts to us, uh, your feedback about any of the episodes, you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or pop on over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups 
slash TV podcast industries. Uh, you can also send us any other thoughts uh, through our socials as well. You find us just search for TV podcast industries. First up, Robert Williams sent an email to us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. He says, as always, so good to talk to you guys again. Awesome job you're doing with this show. This episode was a real gut wrench. I have an 18 month at home who I seem to love more and more every day. Not sure if any of you guys have kids, but it's hard to explain as a newish father watching death. I'm assuming this is death, right? Take the newborn almost made me lose it. Expertly shot scene that really poured in the emotion I think I was supposed to be feeling. Interested to hear your viewpoints on these death scenes. Take care, fellas. Robert. Thanks, Robert. Uh, yeah, we've kind of discussed pretty much all of those death scenes, but they're poignant and they, they are designed in that way mm-hmm. to elicit that feeling, yeah. but they're not gory or horror filled yeah. or because you could have done that you could have showed yeah. when the poor man drowned to death you could have shown mm-hmm. each of their death scenes yeah exactly you could have shown that and it would have kind of skyrocketed the show to an r rating but you could have shown all of that you could have shown poor old uh the poor old boy getting knocked by the car yeah. but you don't need it it's not about that death it's exactly. about mm-hmm. The, the journey beyond the, yeah. the next step in their life or their afterlife. And, and I think, I, I must say, I think it's a really interesting take or, you know, decision. I guess this could, may go back to the actual comics mm-hmm. to have, um, you know, in, in a sense, having Harry the violinist um, or a, a, an accident such as Sam swimming or even with Franklin, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're kind of obvious to some extent. But I, I think the newborn baby is really kind of bold to do. And yeah. actually, ha- there's a reality there that a lot of people don't find easy to speak about if mm-hmm. they've lost a newborn. Um you know, whether that's after their birth or even say with miscarriages yeah. and so on, because of that, just because of that situation. Yeah. So I, I think it's a really, um, bold, interesting, but I think important element to, to show that Absolutely. because as well, plenty, you know, there's plenty, um, of tragic, uh, deaths, you know, outside of even our, immediate situation of living in western europe you know if you Mm -hmm. think of children in other countries where life is more on a tenterhook than than here so um i thought it was really interesting um and bold to do so yeah Uh, thanks robert yeah and and none of us have kids robert uh, just to to say that but but i know these are certainly going to connect with people in different ways you know it's it's quite easy to see someone at the end of their life like harry and still connect and still realize that's him. That's his, that's the end of his time here. Um, but I think even that moment, as I, as I mentioned, the additional ones they put in there, even that moment of the woman dying alone of a, of an overdose or the, um, the, the kid who looks like he's either had a gunshot or most likely being that it's in the UK, a stab wound that's killed him in the back alley all on his own. I think they're all affecting in their own way. They're all representative of the kind of things death is coming up against in, in her experience and her job um so i think they're all really really well told and i do think as you say john a really important one to put in there because uh people don't talk about it very often and it's a, a hugely affecting thing yeah so, yep. thanks so much robert good to hear from you yes thank you so much robert Next up, we have an email from Coffee and Vodka about episode six. Greetings, fellow dearly departed defenders. Oof. 
Nice one. Do they give Emmys to casting directors? If so, whoever filled that position for the Sandman is a shoe in Kirby Howell Baptiste as death was an inspired choice stealing every scene she's in, just as she did in the graphic novel. And it's so great to see Hobb, like an old fictional friend, brought to slightly less fictional life, heartwarming from start to finish, also loving desires very accurately depicted dom- domicile. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Five forever friendships out of five. Peace and take care. Coffee and vodka. Actually, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I pretty much said the exact mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kirby knocks it out. I'm interested to see what else she does in the future. Yeah. Um, I, I think she's yeah. probably... I, I, it was the first I have heard of this act- actor. Um, and I'm interested to kind of... I'm now, now I've seen the chops. I'm kind of like, okay... Like, I, I'd like to see you take on other things. Uh, I'm pretty sure she probably has already been snatched up for a number of other things. I'm certain of it. And definitely, if you get the chance, go watch some of the interviews with her. She is so lovely to watch. She absolutely adored this role. Uh, absolutely loved being on set, even though she had to eat 100 apples uh, or so for that scene when she walks down the street with, uh, with Morpheus. Uh, she's so lovely. So lovely to, to listen to. So, uh, so go, go and watch some of the uh, interviews with her. Uh, let's head on over to Facebook, John. Yeah, thank you, Coffee and Vodka. Uh, over on Facebook, as Suzanne Nelson says, I miss Kat Dennings, who was great in the Audible version, but Kirby Howard Baptiste has the perfect mix of tenderness and creepiness. Mm. Uh, yes, she certainly was absolutely phenomenal uh, as death here yeah. was uh, Kirby. Uh, thanks so much, Suzanne. Uh, Victor Von Doom also says, Greetings, dreamers. I like the character building in this episode. Death's attempt to break Morpheus out of his PTSD funk was very touching. It seems he has one sibling that loves him. Death's tavern challenge regarding Hob Gadling led to a very interesting travel through the centuries and historical backdrop. Did Morpheus sponsor Will Shakespeare? Could that be the reason Sir Francis Bacon challenged his works? Hmm. Desire kind of reminds me of Loki. Looking forward to her next plot. Nighty Night Dreamers. Thanks so much, Victor. Certainly she's mischievous, for sure, is mm-hmm. Desire. Uh, oh, yes. But I do like I like the comparisons. Uh, I can't really... I can't wait, really, to, to get into her motivations. Mm-hmm. I really want to understand Desire a bit more. And uh, yes, I think Morpheus did have a quiet word with uh, with Will Shakespeare, and uh, <laughs> yes. yes, certainly maybe that's why. Yeah, there, there's always been that thing sort of around whether Will Shakespeare wrote everything mm-hmm. that is attributed to him. But I, I guess it's maybe like staff writers, or even <laughs> or, or yeah, ghostwriters, or yeah. even say that you know. Um, sort of graphic novels you know until recently you know maybe in the movies at least that they weren't acknowledging you know a lot of the creators of those so (laughs) maybe that was just how they did it in elizabethan england i guess um you know little club on the back but uh yep certainly a really good um character building i think uh for sure loved just loved getting that sense of dream with his sibling death mm-hmm. and him getting a bit of his um sort of uh, uh, you know the, the stride back in his step exactly exactly yeah thank you victor 
Next up, we also have some feedback from Parthenia Locklear, who had this to say. This may have been my favorite episode. It's possibly because we will all have to meet death one day. The actress was awesome. The writing was well done. It was fun, loving, endearing, and also made me Mm teary-eyed. I loved it. I definitely want to see this character again. The story and friendship of Hot Gabbling, this was all really good to me. Excellent stuff, Parthenia. Yeah, I... I think that really sums it up uh, for me. It was just really good, you know. Yeah, uh, awesome, yeah. well done, all that stuff. Uh, so yeah, great stuff. Thanks, Parthenia. Yeah. We also got feedback from Doctor Bob Phillips, who had this to say: "Such a beautiful episode. The choice to pair the midwifery of death." An act performed with utter love and the bonds of friendship across all the highs and lows of an English half-millennium couldn't have been improved. Mm -hmm. It resets the Sandman as purposed. It tickles us with an extra layer of Constantine (laughs) and drives us to wonder wildly about the nature of desire. (laughs) Don't we all do that all the time, Dr. Bob? Yes, we worry about the danger. (laughs) I'm always worried about desire or wondering about desire. <laughs> Thanks so much, Dr. Bob. It seems this one really does seem to go down well with everybody and exactly. as, as it did in the comics. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Dr. Bob. Yeah. Thanks, Dr. Bob. And thank you for, uh, Phonetically providing Constantine uh, for us. As well. Very good, very good. Yes. I, I also like mid, the midwifery of death. I yeah, think that's a that's a really good uh, really, really good, good phrase as well. Um, sort of phrase. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ben Rush says simply perfect. I hope there is a plan to adapt the two death miniseries into the series. Also, lovely to see Hob Gadling as well. Good stuff. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Joe Herbert says. This was so much more enjoyable than episode five. Mm. Very well done. <laughs> uh, yes, I guess chalk and cheese may spring to mind uh, between episodes five and six. Yes. Both sure. well done, but definitely this one more enjoyable yes, than episode exactly. five. Absolutely. Michael Booth says, a good pause and palate cleanser after last episode mm. before we get into what I assume will be an arc about destiny and desire in the final episodes. Death was brilliant, warm, compassionate, and wise, but absolutely resolute in her duties. I wish we hadn't had all the advertising, though. It would have been nice to be surprised by her identity. The problems with a all-at-once release style, I suppose. Hobbs' story was a good walk through humanity, and it was a pleasure to see Jenna Coleman back again, with a different accent. Remembering her Doctor Who days, she does love a good accent switch. (laughs) I want to see an episode about the other adventures with 1700s Constantine. Overall, a fantastic episode with us seeing Dream learning to connect with humanity and his purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. Thanks so much, Michael. Great stuff. Thanks, Michael. We also got a bit of feedback in from Kevin Smith, one of our wonderful Patreons over on the patreon.com slash TV podcast industries. Kevin, thank you so much for sending in your voicemail into us. Uh, I understand you had a bit of a problem getting it through to us. Uh, Always, if you want to send in feedback to us, you can always record it in an email to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. But thanks for marking it with these two episodes with uh, episode five and episode six as feedback. Here's what Kevin had to say about episode five and episode six. 
Hi guys, I'm not a comic book reader, so I was a bit hesitant about getting into The Sandman. A couple of introductory podcasts alerted me to its long history and fandom, and most reviewers have that background as their basis, so it's a little bit intimidating, I guess. But uh, being new to this universe myself, I'm glad uh, my first look at it comes through this medium of TV. It makes the show really fresh for me, rather than comparing it with the original, as we can't help but doing uh, when we're familiar with the source material. Uh, For me, though, this show is the most engaging TV since The Watchmen. My sense is that Neil Gaiman's work is hard to adapt, uh, hard to adapt to TV, but I think TV has become increasingly adept at being able to do it. Uh, his imagination is hard uh, to change to a visual form, but, you know, I think American Gods got better at doing it, and then this show is doing a really good job of it. I really like in uh, episode six how Death was portrayed as the nicest member of the family. That was a really fresh take. And I was also pleased by the positivity of uh, Hob Gadlin's story, which seemed like it would end in disaster, but but actually... Uh, um, didn't just one of his years kind of was disastrous not that i'm always looking for that uh, positivity and the darkness of the episode at the restaurant was also engaging just all of the ideas are so fresh and thoughtful so i really love the show but i equally look forward to your podcast uh, as much as each episode itself uh, John seems to share the fresh perspective that I have, uh, while Derek and Chris bring a detailed knowledge of the comic. So you guys have struck a really good balance, and I appreciate your work. Thanks. Bye-bye. That's excellent. Thank you so much, Kevin, for your thoughts about uh, about these two episodes and about the podcast as well. It's really good to get your support and glad you're enjoying the take that we have on this. It's not, it's very rare that all three of us uh, have kind of different perspectives on the, on the show that we're covering. I think something like Wheel of Time, where uh, I hadn't read the book and Chris is a massive fan and John just started. I think that's the only other one that we have where all of us were kind of in different places uh, watching the show in that way. So uh, really good to, to hear that it's it's working well for you. Um, I know it's it's a big surprise for me when something as iconic as the death character in the show um the reveal of it comes across as well as it did in the comic to someone like john who hadn't read the comic books before and didn't know that this character um was was death which is it worked out really well so that was that was really cool Overall, though, you're right. There's a, there's a challenge with Neil Gaiman and the adaptations of his work. Um, partly because his work is written for the medium in which he's writing. So he, when he writes comics, it's, it's a great example of what comics can actually do with their narrative structure and with the ability to have an artist draw a different character on every, every single page or even a different version of someone like Morpheus on every single page. Um, whereas TV, there's a huge amount of budget involved in bringing that to the screen, which I think is evident from this Warner Brothers uh, version of it from the Netflix show that they are pouring money into it uh, for even very small scenes. So I'm really happy with how the show has turned out so far. Let's hope we can get a season two out of it to tell some even more of those stories. Uh, but really great to hear from you. Thank you so much, uh, Kevin, for your thoughts. Hopefully we can get some more thoughts from you before the end of the season as well. Lara Williams Strink says, wow, I knew I would love this episode because The Sound of Her Wings is my all-time favourite issue of the entire Sandman series, but I was not expecting how much it would affect me. First off, I'm so glad I read this ages ago as a month-to-month comic before promotional posters, the internet, or even the knowledge of other Sandman fans, because when reading the comic, I thought... 
who is this cute but sassy little goth girl talking to Dream like he's just some schmo in the street? We didn't know that Dream had a family, like we were told outright in episode one of this series, and even when she said she was his sister, we didn't really know what that meant. When it was revealed that this is death, my mind was blown. My recall is blurry, but I might have let an audible squeal. However, even <laughs> having read this issue many times over and knowing what was about to take place, I still bawled like a baby, especially with the scene of the Jewish violinist as death reveals herself to him. I believe it's because Kirby Hell Batiste absolutely embodied the spirit of this character, warm, loving and kind, but with enough saltiness to school her little brother with a bit of tough love and enough wisdom to pull him out of his dour self-pity. Combining this issue with Men of Good Fortune, a later comic entry, was just perfect, and I was thrilled to get Hob Gadling into the series so soon and so perfectly portrayed, exactly as I imagined him to be, my favourite episode so far. It may even trump the source material. Five enthusiastic street cart apples out of five <laughs> love it lara i'm so glad you enjoyed this one this is a, a very special episode and i'm so glad for me as well it was done so well exactly what i was hoping for yeah great stuff uh lara um yep i think it just seems as though this hit everyone's sort of points i mm-hmm. guess you know yeah. in different yeah. ways for different reasons yeah. Uh, but certainly, you know, whether comic book or non-comic book reader, uh, but even like yourself, I didn't realize that was death. Uh, like I'd managed to keep myself away from the promotional stuff. Yes. Um, and it, it was, who is this person speaking with Dream? And, mm. um, you know, trying to pep him up, um, you know, I guess just a good Samaritan ultimately, yeah. you know. Yeah. I'm so glad and shocked. You obviously don't listen to me at all, John. <laughs> Uh, no comment. <laughs> good stuff. Thanks so much, everybody, for your feedback. Really good to hear from you again. Please keep sending them in. Uh, keep emailing us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com with your thoughts about the rest of the series. Uh, five more episodes to go. Really looking forward to the continuation of this. We will be back next time with our discussion of Sandman Chapter 7, The Doll's House. Yes. Thank you so much. We hope you stay subscribed to the podcast. And if you enjoy what you hear, why not share it with your friends? Because sharing the podcast is what, boys? Sharing the, sharing the love, yes. indeed. Yeah. You can also support us by heading on over to patreon.com slash Industries, where for an ongoing monthly amount, just to keep the old dreams and deaths going and the hamsters in the wheels and death, because death does come and take the hamsters. They only last so long. <laughs> oh, gee, so that's dark. we have to that's keep replacing, we're kind of replacing those hamsters. So they do oh, cost a, a fee. So please help us support <laughs> the, the, the engines of our podcast servers by heading on over to patreon.com slash TV podcast industries and supporting us for any monthly amount. Or if you just want to give a one-off donation, why not head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI. Don't got any dollars to support our hamsters. No worries. Again, please just send us your feedback. Get involved. Share the podcast. Leave us a review. Rate us. Do all those fun things. And that is very much appreciated as well. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, guys, see you in 100 years? Yes. Indeed. Yeah. We'll probably yes. still be podcasting. Probably. probably. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, fellow dreamers. Bye. Yeah, thanks so much, fellow dreamers, for joining us. It's great chit-chatting about the salmon with you. Uh, we'll see you again next time. But in the meantime, remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep dreaming. And nighty-night.